Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Left Inside, a weekly podcast offering a little bit of discussion on politics, news and culture from a left perspective. My name is Jessie Kelly and I will be your host for today. This week I am joined by Paul Murphy. Hello. Uh, Jess Beer. Hi. And our special guest for the week, Saoirse McHugh from the Green Party. Welcome on board to Left Inside. Hello. And Mayo. From Mayo, I thought you were going to say. <laughs> and Mayo, yes. Not to forget. <laughs> we have a few different counties here today. It's good. We have Dublin, Cavan, Mayo, all represented. <laughs> so, yeah. This week, we're going to be discussing a bit about environmentalism and um, stuff around that. So, I guess, first of all, just to ask people how are they finding their lockdown experience. We're going into week eight now of the official lockdown. Yeah, I I don't know. I'm finding it a bit difficult, you know, going into week eight. It's it's a bit hard to be at home and not really see anybody. But taking up a trend, like I I definitely have taken up a workout video that I bought last year and I didn't use. So I'm going to like emerge from the lockdown with a six pack. I can already see the two pack (laughs) forming, which only just encourages to go further. But (laughs) um but then also a bit of gardening as well. But yeah, the workout video, I'm I'm pretty gung-ho about it. I do it nearly every day. I finally, after, well, after about 15 months, did my hand washing yesterday. Um, Your hand washing? But eight weeks ago, yeah. Like, the, like, and it's not, there were two things. It was a jumper and a dress. That I needed to hand wash. Oh, sorry. I mean, I thought you meant you washed your hands after all, no, the, no, no. after all these ads telling us to have to wash your hands multiple times. After eighteen months, you wash your hands. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. No, I like like I thought at the beginning of the lockdown, I was like, I'm going to get this done this week. It still took me eight weeks, and I'm telling you, two items. And when I do it, I'm like, oh, that's really easy. I just can't hand wash clothes. But I finally did it yesterday, and so I'm like, ah busy in lockdown that's me done for the week <laughs> chicken things off <laughs> i learned about like like how to really dry clothes that you hand wash from my time in um in prison in israel and um, we used to like you'd spend a lot of time just after the flotilla we spent a lot of time like washing our clothes and then like wringing them dry and what was his name trevor trevor hogan the rugby player was there He's like super strong and able to wring clothes like really, really dry. Yeah. And like, and then there was all these like Republicans who were previously in prison, and so they knew the best way to like, you know, like wrap them over the top and then twist them and then keep twisting them. And like, by the time you've wrung them, they'll be dry. You wouldn't even need any sun. I learned that, and I learned how to uh, sing uh, "Viva La Quinta Brigada." They're my two life skills that I learned from prison in Israel. Well, very important life skills, I think. Yeah, unexpected though, I, I don't know what you would learn in prison, but yeah. Um, so yeah, it, are people finding it different then? So like I was saying, you know, we have city people here and country people as well. I can imagine it's so different isolating in like city centre Dublin. I, you know, I like for me, it's like, because I'm in cabin, there's a field out the back. If I need to get away from the family, I can run out there, you know, and it's kind of feels not as kind of closed in. But then I know there's also negatives as well as in like, you don't feel as connected to people or whatever, you know, like when the, the clapping for the healthcare workers first came about, um, like me and my family went out. You were standing in your field. Literally, like not one of the person <laughs> for miles. So you couldn't really hear any of that solidarity or anything like that. So yeah, I don't know. How are you guys finding city versus country isolation? 
I mean, we're not we're not really in the city. Um, Tala is kind of on the outskirts. So practically the countryside. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and you're far enough. And I haven't gone into the city centre at all because there was no essential journey to be made. And it's far enough so I could go there. Um so it kind of it kind of is like being in the countryside. I'm sure it's not. If I was actually there, I'd say it's vastly different. But um, we're very lucky to be right next to parks and things like that. We're not directly in the city center where it's, you know, a concrete jungle and you don't really have anywhere to go, um, much nature to be in and around to see. Mm-hmm. And what about you, Sarah? Are you close to a town or are you far out like me? I am um, in a village, um, but it's all like holiday homes and stuff. Um, but I realized with the lockdown that I am actually an introvert. Like I'm like, oh no, nobody's asking me to go out at night anymore. Oh no, I'm terrible. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'd love to be going to mad parties with all my young trendy friends. <laughs> like, I love, I love it to be honest. I mean, one, one thing I was thinking is like, obviously, for people who are really living in city centres, I think that's very difficult. I mean, we have a garden, we have parks nearby that are still open, but like. You know, when people are like shaming people for being in parks in Dublin, they're like, ooh, people aren't locked down. And, you know, you've like young families with kids and like they don't necessarily have places that they can be outside with their kids. And the idea that they can't go to a park, like a friend of mine, you know, was at, this is like a couple of weeks ago, was going to the park every second day with her kid. And like they don't have a back garden. I don't know if they have a balcony or not. Like, so that's like really difficult, I think. And I think we do. They should try to leave parks open with appropriate social distancing so that people have a space to be in for people's mental health and everything. Not to be able to be outside is like really devastating. Like that happened in, in Spanish state. I think they basically, if you were inside, if you were in an apartment with huge amounts of people living in flats and apartments, that was it. Like you were stuck inside for a long time. I think that must be horrible. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting how people here have responded in terms of that like mass return to kind of nature and people in Ireland like I think Irish people have always had quite a close connection to nature and it's something that you know gives us solace I think especially in like times of crisis but it is it has been interesting to see like the amount of people going out hiking who didn't before or going on walks going to the parks like you're saying like just needing that natural escape or whatever from the kind of difficult situation that's happening at the moment and do you think that's have had any kind of influence on people's consciousness around environmentalism or do you think people are appreciating the green spaces we have more and is that leading towards kind of thinking more long-term down the road of environmentalism or what do people think i mean i think it does i think i think in a way in there'll be different phases of people's response to the crisis and obviously a big focus is, is health completely understandably considering the tragedy of so many people um dying um another big focus will be just people's income you know and the fact that they're going to try and cut the 350 payment huge numbers of people are unemployed but i i do think in the medium term people will it's a shock to people's relationship to nature and the fact that such huge changes are taking place you know all the things that capitalism said can't be done can't it's not constitutional you can't do uh, a rent freeze you can't ban evictions not constitutional actually huge changes can take place it's also like expanding people's thoughts about like how society can be organized. And there was a meme on Facebook that I shared that was a, a good one, which is like, you've normal and like, you know, loads of pollution, people like spend their days chained to desks, commuting, etc. Then there's COVID, which is actually people have, you know, time to spend with their kids, spend time in nature, 
the economy is like, or large parts of the economy are put into like semi shutdown. Um, and then someone's saying, oh, I can't wait till all this is over. We can go back to normal. And the other person says, well, what if we went forward instead? And then the forward is kind of Green New Deal with socialist policies. That's that's me putting words on a nice little picture. Um, but the picture is like renewable energy, people still having time to spend with their kids. So like reimagining how society can be organized in a way that... Um, in in a way, someone put into the into the chat now. Mad mad man explaining a meme on the podcast. <laughs> um, you have to go to my personal Facebook page to be able to see this meme. Um, Link anyway, bio, yeah. um, You're just trying to increase your number of followers there. Yeah, no, I'm at my maximum number of friends. They can't even do it. Um, but anyway, I think I do think that captures something. I do think the idea that people like just reevaluate their like um relationship to nature and nature of the economy nature of society we have i think in the medium term it does give a boost actually to the importance of like yeah environmentalism hopefully but like that you know i don't know will they ever you know how can they go back to giving people 200 euro a week um because a lot of people on the covid payment probably won't have a job to go back to mm-hmm. and so they're just like oh now you have to have 150 euro less um, and I, I think, like I've thought an awful lot about this in terms of going forward. I think last time with austerity, people were kind of caught on the hop of it, um, and we were all kind of told, "Oh, it has to be this way." But I don't think people would accept that, you know, for the second time in ten years. You know, when I finished college, uh, I went on the dole for a few months before leaving. It was two thousand and ten, I think. Um, I was getting 44 euro a week because <laughs> like, I was only 20 and lived at home and I couldn't, that, that couldn't cover my insurance and petrol in the car. Like I had nothing. <laughs> I was like, geez, they're not going to go back that, they can't go back that way, I don't think. We were talking about it on podcast before about, you know, in the 2007 crash, they kind of labeled it as, you know, we all partied, it was all, we all have to pay it back and and we said this time around, it might be, oh, well, we all were affected by coronavirus, so we all have to do the same. But like you said, I don't think people are going to accept that second time around. You know, I think people have learned from previous tactics from the government. But they are already lining it up. Like mm-hmm. Pat Leahy, especially, seems to be pushing it. It's like Pat Leahy, who must be the wrongest man ever all the time. Oh, you know, Stephen, Stephen Collins is more wrong. He's wrong. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Like... Pat Lee. Who's the wrongest person? <laughs> no, Pat Lee is my would be my submission to the wrongest person ever award. Um but he, he's already been pushing the difficult decisions, tighten the belt kind of thing quite consistently now for a few weeks. Yeah. But it's really like it's amazing. like it was so quick. So like they had this, you know, oh things are gonna be different. It's not like before, we've learned the lessons. That went on for a few weeks like enough time to try to entice the Greens and the Social Democrats and Labour into talks. And then they're like, oh, by the way, there's no money. That was all nonsense. Don't be don't be talking about reimagining the economy or having public services or investing in housing because actually there's no money. Like they've, it's so swift that they've gone from one to the other. Like, and it's, it's like playing out before our eyes, manufacturing consent, like it's going on, it's coming from the tops of the government and then it spreads out. Like it's so blatant, like... 
But they still have propaganda coming out in the newspaper about how, oh, we're going to have an economy based on well-being, right? Yeah. <laughs> we're going to follow your one from New Zealand because, like, she's doing so well. Like, so we're going to stop basing it on economic growth and it's going to be on the growth of well-being. Like, so I have no doubt that they're going to pump out propaganda saying that they're doing that. But at the same time, they're going to try to bring in austerity measures and they'll find ways of doing it in a really clever way. Like, I, they, we learned from the last crash, but so did they. Like yeah. they would have also learned, actually, we shouldn't hit everybody all at once with a single tax because then everybody come out onto the streets and we're defeated. So I think they'll look to pick certain groups off um, and try to pit groups against each other. And, and we'll have to look out for that and try to build as much solidarity as possible. We were at the Debenhams workers picket earlier today um, and, you know, they were telling us that a lot of people are really in support of them. A number of people were driving past and honking and all of that. But they said a number of people have come to say to them, you know, look, you've lost your job, move on, Do you know. And so the government in trying to enforce their new round of austerity will look to exploit that. Um, and it'll be really important for all of us to kind of do what we can to build the solidarity that's necessary because, you know, whatever happens to them is just, you know, a bellwether of what's going to happen to other retail sector workers mm -hmm. and workers down the line. I do think that the nature of how the pandemic has been dealt with it, you know, like the drastic measures being taken, like we're talking about the government showing that they do have enough money to pay people a lot more on the payment than they did at the start, even like when it was 250 and then it went up to 350 and, you know, they were like, oh, we couldn't possibly raise it. And then suddenly like, okay, yeah, we'll raise it another hundred. They've made these changes and it's been realized and it can't be unrealized now you know and I think like that's the same for environmentalism like in terms of people have seen that we can drastically change society and obviously you know the way it is now during the pandemic is not the ideal it's not what we're trying to build towards but it does show that there's first of all there's money there to invest in different you know environmental policies that are needed you know giving more people more time to enjoy life and we can work together and collectively organize you know but also it's shown people that like if we need to if there's an emergency we can change we don't have to continue to have the same system we've always had but people believe coronavirus is an emergency they believe it um like on twitter piers morgan believes coronavirus is an emergency and you know on, on Twitter a week before the government shut down the pubs people were saying shut down the pubs um, and I think the slow the slow burning um, kind of indirect effects of climate breakdown make it a more difficult emergency and also I think we do take our cues an awful lot from the media because we would expect if it was an emergency um, we would have coverage on climate breakdown like we had on coronavirus. Um, and I think, and I, you know, definitely, I know myself, I have to kind of stop myself taking these these cues from the media that like actually it's fine because, you know, we're not going to talk about it that much because it does kind of lure you into this false sense of, well, if it was an emergency, you know, we'd definitely be talking about it. So it must be fine, right? Um, but it will be, you know, how to convince people that it's emergency it's an emergency and i don't even think we'll be able to do that i think we just have to convince people that it can improve our lives yeah rather than it's an emergency um because you can already see like we were just like you were just saying there jess about them pitting people against each other like look at the finnegalers are already lining up environmentalism um as a fall for 
completely finishing off the beef industry now. And like they've been doing it for years already, you know, like if you ever knock if you ever knock indoors, you'll always hear, oh, you know, the Greens want to ruin whatever rural industry you've got, whatever farming industry. Um when of course it's nothing to do with the Greens, obviously it's to do with the likes of, you know, Larry Goodman. Like like everything, there is of course, you know, it doesn't mean anything unless you bring in I suppose the inequality in it. Um but like that, you know, Coveney already, a lot of different Fianna Fallers, I know they're playing to their base, but they're 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 already lining up um making environmental action the negative as opposed to them actually just pandering to the, the dairy lobby. That they're they're kind of and they're they're really good at it as well. Yeah, and you can see why they would sign up to, oh well, we'll sign up to an average of seven percent emission reduction over a 10-year period um but sure we can't do it you know like we can't tank the economy we can't take rural ireland which tanking rural ireland like you said it's really tanking larry goodman it's not necessarily tanking the small farmer yeah um but also i think that you know if you look at the the drop in um global emissions globally is is on um it's on a trend to drop by about five percent over the year it's hard to know like at the moment they're like if the range is like two to seven percent or something but they're thinking like it'll be about five percent globally which is huge it's the biggest single year drop ever um but i think that it's very likely that the finnegalers out there will be like well look what it takes you know it takes mm -hmm. you being locked in it takes your mental health taking a hit and you don't want that do you you know so we can't do seven percent Jesus, 7% is so much more than 5%, you know, so like, mm -hmm. I think also they'll scaremonger in that way. And it'll be really important for us to say, actually, no, like all the benefits of the lockdown in terms of family time, in terms of time with nature, and, and in terms of like, getting our roads back for bicyclists and pedestrians and all of that, like, those are to be made permanent and extended. Um, and let's get rid of the Larry Goodmans and, you know, the... Yeah. Um, uh, all the other big names you know and and let's let's take that over ourselves and run it for ourselves and i think bringing that vision forward is incredibly important now right now um and into the near-term future in terms of government formation and what program to rebuild after covid because it's coming like the shelving of climate action on the eu no matter what they're saying at the moment oh no like it's really important to us no it's not like nobody believes that um but those of us who know better that like we can't have any type of austerity and we certainly can't have it packaged as ego austerity because of the the threat of the growth of the right wing um here in ireland but also across the world um it's it's, it's incredibly urgent that we kind of shape a vision of what that looks like whether you call it the green new deal or you call it in, in England, they called it like green industrial revolution, whatever you call it, like the package of policies needs to kind of be outlined as like a massive benefit to working families and farmers. There's a story today, I think Martin Fraser, I think it was Martin Fraser, Secretary General for the Department of Taoiseach, was basically saying, oh yeah, the 7% business, like, sure, that's complete nonsense, like, you know what I mean? And the idea that any government's ever going to sign up to it and actually mean it, never going to happen, like, um, but that's like... Th their entire approach is so cynical like they just signed up to international agreements with no intention whatsoever of meeting it i mean andy kenny i remember he g gave the game away in paris 
where he was just he like they signed up and then they're like by the way climate change is not a priority for the irish government like he just he's like yeah said the quiet bit loud like you know? <laughs> yeah. and like Bradker's better at knowing which was the quiet bit and which was the loud bit but exactly it's really blatant and then like like i do think there's a real danger in terms of like if environmental action becomes associated in people's minds again with their lives becoming harder and worse and like more difficult with austerity that's packaged as this is because of this then the idea that um it's not just the government ministers that are associated with but also like oh the environmental movement like use use an extinction rebellion use are responsible for this like it was interesting whenever rise launched and we were you know heavily emphasizing the question of the importance of extinction rebellion like we did get a fair bit of pushback from ordinary people being like oh these are now for the carbon tax but you're against the water charges etc and you have to like explain to people no like that's not and instead like environmental action environmental movement has to become associated exactly as here she's saying with like good things for people improvements in people's lives like that actually and that's the benefit of like the green new deal idea is giving people a positive vision of how life can be different of how people can have four day weeks with no loss of pay about how people have free public transport uh, about how people can have control over their surroundings over their society over their economy how you can plan things for pe- people's needs um because i think that is that's definitely the the danger that they become associated and i think it becomes one of the ways that austerity is packaged but the me- like the messaging has been so good over the last 20 years that any environmental action is bad for you um like i've had uh farmers give out to me about something about overgrazing or having to destock or something and i was like that has nothing to do with me he's like it is it's, it's environmental and i was like that comes from a cap package that yeah, a yeah, uniform yeah, yeah. minister signed up to yeah but anything environmental they're like and the green ruling ireland with an iron fist obviously i saw the head of the irish farmers association came out during the week there and said like absolutely no we can't have the greens yeah. in anywhere in power because they'll just ruin agriculture and yeah i think they've started to believe their own boogeyman um i because because it does on the surface kind of make sense um but i don't like i can see it slowly eroding away but it does it to me i think it just takes you know, even canvassing, uh, but like that, and and whether rightly or wrongly, even maybe it's, if it's just because of the name, what the Green Party does, I think has a knock-on effect up to how people see any sort of environmentalism. Um, like I always think, you should never name your party after its aim, because like the Communist Party should have never called themselves the Communist Party. <laughs> Well, it'd be like it'd be like Fine Gael being like the make people poor party. Like you, you just don't do that. You don't tell people the end goal in your party name. Um, but you know, and I think it would take a lot of messaging work on behalf of the Greens, um, because they also, you know, will have to fight back against quite an intentional monstering of any sort of environmental. Like Dennis Nocton, the Minister of the Environment, who was there when. Paris was ratified was one of the first people to come out and be like, this is impossible. <laughs> like, then why did you sign up for it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, but if, I also think a, a factor is that unfortunately, like the 2007 government, the Green Fall government, that is associated with like the bank bailout, austerity, etc. Like Eamon Ryan signed up for all that stuff. 
I mean, it's, it's remarkable now because you read that, like, I think he thinks that, like, that was that was good, like, that was a good government. It was basically the right thing to be in. Maybe they made mistakes here or there. But, like, people's memory of that reasonably accurately is, like, wow, that was, a, you know, a bad anti, anti-worker, anti-small farmer, anti-ordinary people government. And it didn't do anything in terms of the environment. I mean, Rossport, like, they plowed ahead with Rossport um, despite the thing. So I think that's, like, we're also, like, dealing with that legacy, like, yeah, and but like I think you can see like if you're if you look at it from the perspective of a rural small farmer, you know, on the surface policies for environmentalism do seem to kind of hurt their livelihood. You know, like if you look at it on the surface level, and you can understand like Paul saying like past events, you know, distrust in the government that a lot of people have, a lot of workers have, you can understand where they're coming from. But I guess the idea of a green new deal would be to work not against people like this who depend on you know non-sustainable industries um for their livelihood but to work with them and you know this idea of a just transition to a society where we can all you know benefit from the changes we make um and the people who at the moment have jobs you know that affect the environment negatively would get a job where they would be able to work in an environmentally sustainable job um so i don't know if people have any more like detail on terms of like how a green new deal could kind of get that message across to people rather than this kind of like like you're saying Tisha, about like you're talking to people on the doors and they just don't want to even hear about it because they they just feel attacked almost immediately on the surface level of the politics you know i mean one thing is that like that like like small farmers are in crisis right now do you know what i mean like ecological program to have sustainable agriculture or not they're in crisis right now the majority of small farmers have like really crap income and um, i think the average for like suckler farms is like thirteen thousand euro for the farm and then it's slightly more for their farmers but it's low like most small farmers have to do other jobs as well um so like there's a crisis right now and actually like the environmental movement and the eco-socialist wing and the environmental movement should be putting forward how people can actually have like sustainable living standards by having real changes and like some of those are like kind of obvious reforms as well like in terms of distribution of cap so like the big amount of cap money goes to the big big farmers like the more land you get the more you get so there's, there needs to be a maximum limit on cap that was always the thing we fought for in the european parliament if you have a maximum limit on cap of like fifty thousand euros a year or hundred thousand euros a year well then you distribute the money much better but then also you have to link cap to actual greening measures that make a real difference um you know in terms of sustainable model of agriculture but the irony is that like the ifa say in terms of the european parliament the ifa would be in there with the rest of the european farmers association every time lobbying against any maximum and that's the thing i mean the ifa pretends to be representing small farmers but actually they're out there lobbying for the interests of big farmers against the interests of, of small farmers, which is why we also need like a small farmers association of some sort, like you have in other countries, you have like, in other countries, you have an IFA and you have a small farmers association and they work together on the stuff they agree on, but then they also clash because there's actually like real difference of interest there. And there is like, you have, you know, the, you have the hill farmers, but you know, across Europe, what is it? 52% of all farmland is owned by 3% of farmers. So already you've got, you know, a massive lobby ready to go. And, you know, the IFA get all their money from the beef and milk levies. So obviously they make the most money from the people with the most animals and people with the most milk. But I do, I like, 
you know, you do have the INHPA and I do think people are coming around because, you know, at, at a Hill Farmers meeting two years ago, um, a question was put up like, is climate change real? Like two years ago only. Um, but now at some, you, you know, there's conversations being had that says like, I think the beef, the brief protests were good because that wasn't against any sort of environmental anything. Um, and so now at meetings, you do get people saying, well, wait a second, we can't, you know, we, we can never compete in terms of size. Um, so maybe we can lean into environmentalism and it's slow, but it, there's definitely a shift happening. Um, and they are great at organizing themselves and you'll never be at a meeting like a farmer's meeting, like they're packed and everyone's there engaged. And like, I was at one one, right? Eight o'clock in the evening, it started by midnight. I was like, wow. <laughs> and you're still getting questions from the floor and then you have to leave. But everyone's still standing around. I'm like, well, some of these people live two hours away. <laughs> they just love me. And surely they have to get up early in the morning too. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's yeah, it's. It's interesting. There was an article that came out in the Irish Times um, by John Gibbons. We need not fear the green 7% red line on emission cuts. And I just note here, like 7% is not high enough. Like, I think we all would agree that like you need upwards of 10% mm -hmm. reduction every year because Ireland is quite wealthy country if we're going to hit zero. Yeah. No heavy industry, really easy changes. That's the know. thing, like... We should be able to get there quicker. Um, no, I was just going to say, I've been surprised at some of the NGOs um, pushing at 7%. I'm like, lads, that's not your job. <laughs> you're, no, like, you're not running, you don't have to compromise with anyone ever. Um, and I've had to mute a few prominent kind of environmentalists because uh, I found myself getting so thick on Twitter. Um, and they're like, you know, don't come out. Like, we don't need to go into government to get a lousy 7% that, first of all, oh, my God, the idea that Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael would deliver it anyway is the... So I saw one prominent environmentalist... Um, I think I know what you mean. ...put up a whole thread. Well, there's, there's a few. You probably know who they all are. <laughs> put up a whole thread on um, basically how Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael have blocked any sort of climate action going back, whatever, 30 years. And the premise of the thread that they were getting at was, and this is why the Green Party needs to go in. And I was like, well, a clear takeaway from this thread is that Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael cannot be trusted at all. Like, I, is it that your brain gets kind of shaped by lobbying and, and you start to see compromise, you get guilted into this idea of, of compromise or I don't know what it is. I've been really annoyed by them. Yeah, I think people's visions are extremely narrowed. And even when we force them to expand it beyond the three and a half percent that's in Fine Gael's climate action plan to seven percent. And OK, we'll accept seven percent. But anything beyond that is just crazy. Um, what's in that article that I found really interesting, actually, is that the data from the Central Statistics Office found that Ireland spends more than four billion a year and what it calls environmentally damaging subsidies and taxes foregone. Of this, two and a half billion go to fossil fuel subsidies, um, like peat burning, 
And the rest, uh, 1.5 billion goes to environmentally damaging subsidies to the agricultural sector. So like when we talk about a just transition and like what can be done to assist farmers, pay farmers really, not just assist them, but absolutely guarantee a support there to move to um, ecologically sustainable and regenerative farming. Like it's obviously it's there. And it's funny that like people will see that, get that information and still keep their horizons so low. And it also shows the wealth exists not only to assist farmers and to ensure that they have all the supports that they need, to switch from dairy and, and from beef, but so that we can also bring in all the policies that we mentioned before that that benefit families, whether that's free public transport, which would, you know, if you just made it free right now, it'd be 600 million, you know? Um, but if you wanted to make it frequent and you wanted to make it, you know, a really um, incentivized thing, well, then you'd need to spend double that or even triple that. But the money clearly exists. It's just, you can't also be a tax haven. You know, you can't also yeah. allow the Larry Goodmans um, and the Dennis O'Briens and the rest of them like own and run our private hospitals and like, you know, um, just, yeah, make us the race to the bottom winner. And um, you can't do any of that, which I think really shows when it comes to the government formation talks that like there's a certain pressure to bear there. But I, I think Sirish is absolutely right in terms of like, you're drawing the wrong conclusion about the experience of a Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil coalition governments. Like, I, I think those of us on the left see the, the conclusion to draw there is that they can't be trusted. They're absolutely pointing in the other direction from us. Um, and that, that they've been forced to go this far to 7% and admit it. It's a testament to the movements. It's a testament to the pressure that's been brought from below. Um, and I think therein lies where we have to build our power and our movements, both to bring out the vision and the message of a Green New Deal and all the policies related to rural Ireland and those living in cities, but then also um, beyond, you know? Like, I think it, that thing of, like, being determines consciousness and if your existence is lobbying or your existence for the most part is like being a TD and you're not connected to actual like movements that are taking place outside just your vision does get narrowed and it becomes about like moving small pieces about on a chessboard as opposed to saying no like we need to overturn the chessboard the whole system is rigged it's not possible to achieve justice within the framework of like a government managing a capitalist system accepting that you have to go into coalition with Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael you have to completely transform things and it's that's the like the disconnect between like do what the science demands and then like the kind of policy reality of some of those like lobby groups because like they just think well it's not actually possible to do what the science demands so therefore we have to get like the best as possible within the framework but like you're selling tomorrow and like the possibility of doing what the science demands tomorrow by building a movement for fundamental eco-socialist change which is actually possible and is necessary for something today that is inadequate is inadequate now i mean maybe maybe you grant something maybe you end up getting i don't know 0.5 percent more reductions in the next few years than you otherwise would have okay but actually you do that at the cost of like damaging the name of the environmental movement damaging the movement and like actually even in those like practical terms of what percentage you know or what um what uh, temperature increase you, you lose out in the later term because you damage the movement and the ability to actually build, bring fundamental change. But even on that, like I was thinking, you know, say as a lobbyist or an environmental advocate or something, this whole focusing on, oh, if you get 7%, you have to go in. I think it also ignores um, kind of, you know, lobbying and negotiation one-on-one in that, your job might be, you know, to get those incrementals, but it's also 
it's you know it's it's never done by asking for less it is always done by like there's so many like the squeaky wheel all these kind of you know metaphors there you're never supposed to this idea that you get to the table um by being reasonable and consensus blah 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 you never do you you get to the table just to shut you up um and you never accept you say right well we'll have that but also that's not enough um but that's sometimes it's almost i think maybe people get cowed by being told they're you know playing purity politics and this kind of thing uh, maybe i don't know but like i would think you know as an ngo or as an advocacy group you would realize that that's very much so um part of your strategy is also not saying well that seven percent is good enough it's not just, it's not like whether you believe or not, whether you think, oh, geez, I'd love that 7% reduction. And it would be huge. But even just in terms of strategy, mm-hmm. uh, and maybe uh-huh. I'm wrong now. No, no, I think you, you've you've hit the, the nail. <laughs> um, but I think they have a completely different idea of how the change can be brought about. Um, I think if you're a lobbyist or you're working alongside those in government um, and you're an environmental lobbyist, like if... If you're there, then you obviously very much care. You're like inundated and reading all the news day in and day out, which must be just soul crushing. Like mm. as a climate scientist, I can tell you whenever I was doing it, it just it's incredibly demoralizing to like look at the data and like read about it and just be in it all day, every day. So anybody that's doing that and as a lobbyist, like clearly cares deeply about it. But you're also accepting in that position and in that environment that you're around with all these TDs and others, um, that like change comes about by getting these people to move a few inches rather than how I think change comes about. And I think we all agree change comes about from below. Um, And I think therein lies the question about going into coalition. Do you think that you're going to get more by going in and having negotiations with Brad Kerr and Michal Martin and like, I don't know, sitting down and having a cigar and wearing fancy socks together and like having a bit of a chat and somehow convincing him? Or are you going to be able to do it by, you know, building on the school strikes and and building on um, the momentum from below and, and getting out there and talking about a different vision for society that can build up the pressure from below, like repeal did, like marriage equality, like the water charges movement and all of that. Um, And it does come from a difference in strategy. It comes from a difference in how you think change is actually going to happen. And I know from um, climate scientist friends that I have that like, they're very much against the Green New Deal because they think you're asking for too much. Um, And because you're asking for too much, we're not going to be able to get the climate change stuff done which says to me, you don't recognize how we're even going to get the climate change stuff done. You can't get it done without building that massive movement from below. So how are we going to build that? It can't just be based on climate change policy for the reasons that Saoirse said before, like it's too in the distance, not there right in front of you, like your bills are, like your kids are. And um, I do think climate change lobbyists and, and those that work even in NGOs, as genuine as they absolutely are, they are kind of a bit blinded by the environment they're in and around. I think one thing I've come to realise as I've read more about environmentalism and um, looked more into it, it's, it's something Naomi Klein said in her book um, On Fire. It's that environmentalism isn't an issue, it's a message. You know, it's like climate change is a message about the system we have and the need for something totally different. The fact that what we've built up until now isn't working for the environment. And it's not like 
an issue to check off your list, you know, as someone on the progressive left. If it's not something to, yes, we get housing done, then we'll get the environment done. You know what I mean? It's it's something much bigger and it's much more overarching. Um, and so the idea of kind of like, oh, yeah, so we'll go into coalition with the right wing party to push through this like couple of reforms. And, you know, it's obviously necessary to push through reforms along the way, but to deal with climate change in like the way we need to it's totally rearranging society it's totally rearranging the system um and i guess that's why it's like the idea that you know Eamon ryan would be pushing to go into government to push through seven percent or whatever it is you know it's just not even close to being enough i guess and i you know that's why i, I know that you seriously are against it and i know others in the greens are seeing that it's just not a viable option really you know and like well, what do you think about the likelihood of this going through or I know there's been a lot of kind of talks up and down amongst younger greens in the party as well who are kind of more radical like yourself and just think it's not possible or I don't think it will pass um like you know there was the 17 questions that the greens sent in that people even the greens were a bit kind of like uh, <laughs> where did they come from um and the responses to them, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael couldn't even, you know, give anything that would even, you know, kind of dampen fears. Um, so, like, and probably because everyone probably knows where I stand, um, maybe, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not having a clear read on it, but it does feel like people are not going to go, like, Whatever about Fianna Fáil, I don't think they believe in much. But like Fianna Gael hate the environment. They hate poor people. They hate, like a year, two years ago, I was at a wedding with um, a, an advisor to a Fianna Gael minister. And we were chatting about environmentalism. And I think he really believes it. He was like, but it costs. You know, you have to make trade-offs. It costs. It has to cost. And they... They, that's just how they see the world. Um, and I don't see how we could ever have any sort of, you know, deal where you compromise. Like, I know I said whatever I said about compromise earlier, I'm Like, but I realize you have to compromise, but you don't just compromise all the time. You have to make a very clear choice as to what you're going to compromise on. And I was looking at, for instance, at our agricultural policies and Fine Gael's agricultural policies, and they're almost... They're so opposite that there's no such thing as compromise there. It's pure binary. It's either Fine Gael's or Greens. Um, so to be honest, I don't see how it will I don't I don't think it will go through at all. And what's the process? How, like is there a postal vote of members or what considering the lockdown stuff? I'm actually not sure. So usually there's a special convention, so I assume there'd have to be a postal vote. I'd watch a, I'd watch for a sneaky one there. <laughs> no, I yeah, I assume it'll have to be a it would be a postal vote. Um Okay. And of course it makes canvassing harder. But it also means that there's there'd be more time for, between a program for government being announced and you know the deadline for the vote. I just I would be absolutely shocked if it passed. Because, you know, I know I didn't um but even people, you know, who aren't as anti Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael as I would be, you know, did not canvas for months for a Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael government. 
I hope you're right. The the only thing because we we actually we debated this on a previous um podcast and um Dermot was like. No, they won't. He's saying what you were saying. I was like, I bet you they go in. And I obviously, I won't be quite as cynical with you on it. <laughs> um, but I just wonder if, like, the pressure will come on in a very big way. Like, all those media reports that we saw before about being responsible, you know what I mean? Taking advantage, you can make such a change now. Like, I mean, that's designed, like, then it was actually designed to put pressure on a very small number of people in the Green Parliamentary Party. But it'll be ne- then aimed at putting pressure on a larger number of like a few thousand people or whatever who are in the Green Party and like they'll really hammer it home and they'll try to use and I think Eamon Ryan knows this as well is that like each step they draw you in it becomes more difficult for you not to go along with it so Slippy, like yeah. once you agree to sit down and begin to talk as opposed to just communicating with letters you're in a bit more and so they'll say you've gone all this way program for government and like now this is it it's a choice between this or going back to an election when we can't even have an election because of the coronavirus in this massive national crisis and you're not willing to step up to the plate. And if you don't sign up to this, there's going to be an election and you're just going to lose all your seats because really your people voted for you because they want you to go into the government. Yeah. And will people be able to withstand that? I So I think there's quite a particular trait amongst Green Party members that we, you know, we, we like to be reasonable and someone calling us, you know, unreasonable or irresponsible is like, we're like, oh, we are so responsible. Um, <laughs> and so I think that particular pressure point works really well with Green Party members. Um, and like, you have to do something and isn't something better than nothing. And this is where particularly, I think the, the NGOs, who I'm surprised at, they're seriously like, you know, you have to do something. Was it all just posturing? Mm-hmm. Like they're a pressure point now. Like, yeah, interestingly, they're put pressure on to join the government. Like, Yeah, and they're quite well respected amongst a lot of um, Green Party members. Um, and this, you know, something's better than nothing, you know, oh, you're only doing it to save your seats, blah, blah, blah. And so I think it will have an effect on Green Party members. Um, but I do hope that, I suppose, the the more logical um, side wins out. Because those arguments that like, oh, you're only doing it to protect your seat, you know, on the surface, you kind of instantly want to be like, no, 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 okay, I'll go in. So, fine. you know, I'm not just a careerist. And But in reality, it's like, well, why would you want to protect your seat, for instance? You want to protect your seat because if we're only, if we've just agreed up to a, you know, an, a net, an average 7% reduction yearly over 10 years, they're going to wait it all to their last five years where there'll be no Green Party members and they won't actually mm-hmm. go. Um, and and all the arguments that are put to Green Party members and on the TDs are quite, you know, they sound good, um, but they do fall apart once you kind of inspect them at all. And there is quite a large group of young people, so it's like the future of the party, um, who no way did not canvass for a Fianna Fáil Fine Gael government. And I think will be quite persuasive in that, um, you know, they did so much canvassing for all of our TDs. They travel the whole country canvassing for people um, and, you know, don't have seats. So, you know, that doesn't, that argument doesn't affect them. But I suppose it'll be interesting to see what tack they go with. Like the whole time-wasting um, route, I can already see that kind of being brought up. And it'd be great if people could just ignore that. 
Um, but it, it will have an effect, I suppose, just how big an effect it'll have will be the question. Um, because I like to be fair, I think Fianna Fáil will fold before the Greens do on this. I do not think they're going to go in at all. And I don't think Fine Gael want to either. Like, looking at Simon Coveney, you know, Simon Coveney, whatever he is, is not stupid and he doesn't make gaffes in the media ever. Um, and so I think he's already lining up to be like, oh, you know, my grassroots don't want to go in with the Greens, blah, blah, blah. Let's have another election and get it back our seats. Um, Maybe I'm wrong, but that's the kind of way it is. I think it would be great for the Greens if more people like, you know, Sarah Carey or Alison O'Connor came out with their articles because they're so absurd. I think people are like, wait a second, that's not true at all. Um, like people like, you know, the more, the more uh, tempered kind of, well, now Greens, you really should go in, are more convincing than the, you must go in and put Billy that fucking, what was Alison O'Connor was like, uh, the nurses are risking their lives. The Greens have to go in. I was like, one of her headlines is like, fucking why? Finnegale, we're literally threatening to sanction striking nurses. <laughs> so a bit more of that would be good. Well, I think however things play out, it's definitely going to be interesting. But unfortunately, we are out of time for this week. So we're going to have to leave it there. Thanks again, Searsha, for coming on to chat with us and thanks to everyone at home for listening. If you're interested in learning more about environmentalism, RISE are still running a public reading group over Zoom where we're discussing Neil McLean's book, On Fire, The Burning Case for a Green New Deal. So do get in touch with the RISE page if you're interested in that. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please tell a friend about it and help spread the word. Big thanks again to Galway Band Turnstiles for letting us use our music on the podcast. And we will be back here again, same time, next week. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. You wake up and your head's fucked. You stick your trousers on and you lost bit of makeup. You lost coke.